Welcome to 21st Century Saints, Julia Sanders. Are you a Sanders or your Saunders? How do you pronounce it? So it's pronounced Sanders, um, but I just got divorced and I'll I'll probably change it later, but that's my name. So Okay. So that was your married name and probably mm-hmm. at some point change it. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I told you before I was a Sanders by um that's my maiden name. So that's so fun and that's so cool. I know, I know. And it, and and <laughs> I, I come across quite a lot of Saunders with a U in there as well. But oh, yeah. Not quite as many Sanders, but um, yeah. yeah, there's not many of us around. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to the corridor. We are yeah. the corridor conversation because it's only me in there at the moment. So we're stuck <laughs> out of the class. We should be in Relief Society or Sunday School or whatever oh, yeah. it is. <laughs> dipping out and um, hiding away from the the rest of the mob so that we don't get picked on to go and do things for people. Um, So I'm just, I've seen you on TikTok. I've admired from a distance the amazing work you're doing there. Oh, thanks. Um, So tell me, tell me about yourself. Tell me how you've got to this stage where you're, you're analyzing Mormonism from, from TikTok. Yeah. So I don't know how far back you want me to go. Yeah. I was born. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was born in Texas um, yeah. and my parents had eight kids, but I, I moved to Missouri. So I'm here where, where the real Zion is. <laughs> um, so my parents had eight kids and then they divorced when I was 12. And then they got, my dad got remarried to a woman who had five daughters. So there's, wow. um, and then they had one on their own. So there's like 14 kids um, total. So I'm the fourth of the 14, all of us. Um, and we were really devout members of the church. I went to early morning seminary. I, I went to BYU, Idaho. I got my degree and then I wasn't married or anything. And so I was like, I might as well serve a mission. And so my little sister and I served at the same time and like, just really gung ho about the church, like super all in, I got married in the temple. So I got, I got home from my mission. And then, um, like, like a few, I don't, I don't remember how long I was home, but I met this guy and then we got married. We got engaged after three weeks and got married after three months. So it was like really fast and we didn't really know ourselves at all. Um, so yeah, so only in Mormonism, would that be considered? I know, I know. know. And like, I wish someone had stopped me and said, no, you don't, you don't know this person. You don't even know yourself, but nobody did. Um, yeah, so that was really sad. And then just cause we ended up divorcing later. Um, but we had, we started our family and then I, um, sort of started becoming, I love history. I love um, everything about the church. So like, I guess it's more like, I love the church. Therefore I love history. I don't know how to say that. Um, but, um, my dad and I were part of this group that we had created called the mound rovers. And we were trying to find archeological evidence for the book of Mormon here in the United States. Okay. And so, yeah, cause I've heard, I've heard stories and or theories that it took place down in Mesoamerica, down in like Mexico and Guatemala, but like, it didn't make sense to me. Like nothing made sense. So I was really working, going with my dad and we would go to these mounds And we would like, um, visualize the Lamanites there and stuff like that. And so I was doing a lot of research, but I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing a whole lot of, um, archeological research, but I was doing more like the, like, um, polygamy and like things like that. And I was trying, like, I wrote an article apologizing, like as an apologist, like, oh, Joseph was totally in his rights to marry these women. And, and the angel showing up to him with a sword, was totally normal because it's all over the Bible. And like, like I cringe thinking about that now, but cause that's so not okay Um, especially with these 14 year old girls, but like, anyway, so like, that's where I was at. And then like, I started reading these books, um, these LGBTQ, um, LDS books, and I became an ally for them. And I was like, no, like at least our, like our church can believe what we want. That's fine. We can believe that gender is eternal, whatever. But like, why are we imposing our views on the rest of the world or the rest of the nation? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't like that at all. And like Tom, Chris, Todd Christofferson's book, the brother, um, uh, uh, that we may be one, like changed my life. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so like hearing this man's perspective of his like 20 year partnership and how his family responded to it. And they were so loving and so caring. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is the best book. Everyone needs to read this and, and emulate this. And then like, I was coming to terms with my own sexuality. And, um, I was, I started reading another book called, um, Tabernacles of Clay, which sort of, um, Taylor Petrie breaks down, the changes in doctrine, um, as far as the LGBTQ and even women. And uh, like, I was like, this isn't true. Like there, if it's changing so much, the church can't be true. true. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, I was reading another book, um, called in sacred loneliness about the polygamy. 
um, by Todd Compton. And uh, yeah, the other one was Tom Christopherson or Todd Christopherson. Anyway, so yeah, I read that book and I was like, no, Joseph Smith is not, this is not of God at all. Like polygamy is 100% wrong. And so like the, the modern church broke down for me and then the old church broke down for me. And then ever since then, I've been like obsessed. I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but it might be the right word with like learning all the stuff about church yeah. history. Cause I'm trying to make sense of it. Cause I was born in this. I love this. This was my whole reality. And like, yeah. I'm trying to process that. So I started my TikTok. My brother actually suggested it. He was like, you should have a TikTok called analyzing Mormonism and you have the energy and the ability to do it, but I don't. And so I was like, okay. So I started it like two yeah. years ago, just trying to process things myself, like asking questions, like, what about this? What about the book of Abraham? And then like, I've just been doing it for two years so yeah fantastic it's absolutely fantastic I think what you said that is is so key that you're using the exact same skills you're on the same path which is to use your analytical skills your love of history your your yearning for knowledge but what's happened is um the magnetic poles have flipped north south has flipped so mm -hmm. Those skills are all acceptable. You're allowed to ask questions as long as you're believing. As soon as you stop believing, then you're seen as being antagonistic and, and you know, trying to destroy people's faith. And all of those sorts of things start to come into play, don't they? But actually, what you're doing is analysing Mormonism. So, and that's perfectly acceptable as long as you <laughs> say, and, um, I, and I believe it's true, but as soon as you right. say, hang on a minute right yeah one of the yeah. biggest um one of the biggest items that started to chip away for me it came out a long time ago now but it was a a little funky video that they put together about how fashion for sister missionaries had changed throughout the years it was only ever such a short clip it popped up on youtube and i remember it being shown in a young women's class um, that, that my girls were going to, but you know, I, I was way passionate women's at that point. But um, and it was supposed to be faith affirming, like, isn't it great that now they get to wear trousers? And I remember just thinking, all that all that demonstrates is that the the things that I was shamed for are no longer shameful. The things that that you know my generations back would have been shamed for showing their ankles I remember a seminary teacher saying that at dances you couldn't twirl a girl because she would show her ankles and isn't that funny now to laugh oh about boy but actually no it's not funny because anything that you would shame someone for if it's really important we'd still be shaming them for it right God actually cared and if right. he doesn't care why on earth were you were you ever shame, shaming anybody for those right. why on earth was it ever not acceptable for women to wear trousers it's, it's right. a bit nonsense isn't it right and then like with garments because like garments used to go up to the, yeah. the forearm or whatever and like my grandpa used to always wear his long john garments so like if that's of god but we're changing it and we're even adjusting it to like the cap sleeves now like yeah. this isn't of god if it's changing and god's unchangeable then it's just it's just man's understanding of yeah i don't know and i, and I don't like that at all i don't like what women are um I don't like that other people have control over our bodies or they try to have yeah, control. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's, shame. Only, yeah. it's only as I look back that I realize how much um, control there was or how much autonomy I, I gave away to, yeah. to be part of the system, how much I didn't stand in, in, you know, on my own two feet. And I'm quite a strong personality, but didn't say, no, that's a nonsense that's daft of course I wouldn't do that of course I wouldn't agree to that but actually I did and like you say ha thankfully happily married 30 odd years later but we met and married within six months and you yeah. know and that was normal all of my friends did all of my friends had whirlwind romances and all of them all of us got married super young and it's just crazy when you look back isn't it the things that were normalized and we all just started families even though we were stony broke and yes yeah and the church like oaks just like two weeks ago just said the same thing he was like you guys aren't getting married young enough and you're not having enough kids and like we can't afford anything and first of all your brain doesn't finish developing until you're in your mid-20s like yeah. like no yeah 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 mm -hmm. so it, 
I mean, it's amazing. So how do you feel about the whole mounds thing situation now when you <laughs> your research and all that effort and time you put into it? How do you feel about that now? Well, like, so, so with the, so I still feel good about it. Like I still learn yeah. a lot of things, like even like I have a website and like a lot of that still you was the basis for it. And I was like, oh, I can just move in my, or like just reinterpret it a different way. Um, and so like, that's just been really interesting to see my past self and be like, oh, I don't know how I made sense of this. And then like for with me, I remember giving a talk and saying like, or a testimony where like, I knew the church was true. Like I 100% knew it was true because of the book of Mormon and because of like the chiasms in it, the, uh, the Hebraisms in the, in the book of Mormon and like the, just so many like specific things that I knew were true. And then, and then now that I can see, like, I've been able to break these down, like, no, these aren't what you thought they were. Like the chiasms, for example, it's like, it's in the Doctrine and Covenants, which Joseph wrote. It's in his letters, which he wrote. It's in the Pearl of Great Price, which he wrote. So it's, it's not an evidence. So don't do that. Anyway, so like, like I still, and like my family sees me as an, this angry ex-Mormon and I don't feel angry. Like sometimes I am like with the church covering up um, um, harm of other people. Like, I don't like that. Um, but like, they see me as this angry ex-Mormon and I feel like I'm the exact same person. Like I was, I was always doing research and always study, standing yeah. up for what was right. And I'm still doing that. Like I still wear my CTR ring all the time because it means to choose the right to me, like to have integrity all the time. And like, they, yeah, they just don't like that. But... So of your siblings, are they all still in apart from you or? So no, actually that's a great question. So I, I feel like it's safe to say, cause I, I'm not as super um, close with my stepsisters, but my, but I'm pretty sure all but two of two of them are in the church and they're still living at home. One of them is a return missionary. Um, and then my younger sister they're they're in none of the siblings are in, uh, my mm -hmm. parents are very active. They're very, um, they have a hard time with me dating a woman and they have, have a hard time with everything that I do is <laughs> this part of my life. Um, but yeah, so there's, most of us are, are gone and support we're, we support each other. We are there for each other, um, in all this. So that's been really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I wonder how parents cope with that situation yeah. it must be really really hard to wrap their heads around that that gosh all of their hard work because that's the trade-off isn't it you do this and this and this and your children will definitely stay within the church and you know you be faithful you be uber faithful you go to the temple every week and then all of these blessings are predicated on that behavior yeah and then this this new generation there's been such a change and I think it must be really difficult for active believing members to kind of wrap their head around that that isn't the case that, that yeah like I know I know my mom uh, has said that she blames or I feel like she blames herself for our leaving oh. the church like she's failed as a parent because like in the scripture that says like raise your kids in the way that they should go and they'll never depart from it. But which doesn't make sense because even we have stories, even in the scriptures yeah. of like Lehi and Nephi and Laman and Lemuel that yeah. you can raise them however you want. And they're still going to have their agency. They're still going to choose what feels right for them. So like, it's not their fault. Parents need, should know that it's not their fault. Their kids are just choosing what's, what's good and authentic for them. Yeah. And yeah, but you're right. I think it's really, really hard for parents to handle yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, Heads you win, tells well. Heads you lose, tells you lose, isn't it for parents? Because <laughs> if if you stay unhappily within the church, that breaks you. If you if you live authentically and say I'm living in my truth and I know this and I know this and I know this and you've raised me to be a person with integrity and honesty and live live you know an authentic life. Um, that's difficult for them as well I just yeah I do feel for them I feel kind of fortunate in a way because my mum bless her she followed she followed me into the church when I was 14 and said I was getting baptized and and you know not my parents said you're not joining that it sounds like a cult they were right <laughs> uh, they were right um but they said well you can only have the missionary discussions if we get to sit in and at that point I was I was all happy to join anyway um my best friend from school was a, a member of the church so I'd known about everything for, for a long time um but that was my mum and dad's sort of their investigating process then the missionaries must have absolutely rubbed their hands together at the thought of this family joining um but then 
when we said to, sat my mum down, we'd sadly lost my dad, but um, sat my mum down and said, we have, um, you know, gone through this process and we have decided that we don't think the church is true anymore. We're not going to go anymore. She just went, aren't we? And I said, no, mum, not you. We're not. <laughs> you can still go if you want to. Well, no, if you're not going, I'm not going. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And and I love I love that about her that she has that much trust in me. <laughs> I love that. Whatever you whatever you found that Ruth, I um, oh, I know. love that. That's so what a supportive mom. Like that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, just she'd be she'd be a great getaway driver. She'd just be like, you just jump okay. in the car, go go go. She'd be like, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> that's that's awesome. mom, we're out of here. Yeah, she's brilliant. Um. So circling back then, childhood in the church, do you, do you feel like you had a happy childhood? What do you think it gave you? What do you think you missed out on by being brought up a Mormon? Um, so so I don't want to lose my train of thought. So I feel like happiness, I, I had a really rough childhood. Right. So I'm not trying to, like, I don't want to share like everything, but like I was, no, no, no. Um, right, like I was sexually abused when I was a kid. So that was really, really hard. And so like having the church sort of felt like, um, like it was like a medicine or a bomb. And then with my parents' divorce, it was really, really ugly. And so again, I had stability in the church. I had, I had a family in the church. Yeah, it was so good. And then like, so the church, like, I feel like I really needed it. And, And so like, I, I don't regret being raised in the church and I don't regret my mission or my education. Although like I do regret Brigham Young. I don't (laughs) anyway, but like, like I, the church was really, really helpful for me. And I think it was probably helpful for my family as well, going through all of this. Um, but like, but like, I've heard that, you know, you can graduate from the church because you don't really need it anymore. And then you move on and then, and then you can, you know, make your own choices in your life and stuff like that. So, so yeah, the church was really, really good. And, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just, super good well I think that's really good and that's a really good perspective to have even and I think it's I wish that people who are still you know active at church realize that that can be people's experiences that you can go look back and go I don't believe it anymore it's not for me anymore and there's all these things that are unhealthy about it however I know that it was really good for me going through the things that I I was going through to have this in my childhood um and that's the complexity of it isn't there That, that it isn't just an easy black and white answer it is there is complexity there and there's beauty there there's good people there there's bad people there you know and and depending on on what mix of mormonism you 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 get during your childhood teen years whatever some people have a wonderful time some people have an awful time and both experiences are completely valid Mm -hmm. um so yeah. yeah so what did you study at BYU then what did so I actually studied English literature. So I got my degree in English and then I minored in marriage and family relations. So, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So, so I loved Shakespeare. I loved poetry and like, <sighs> and then the, the marriage and family stuff. Like I was like, it's kind of silly, but like, I, like, I wish I'd have gotten maybe a different degree, but like, I was told like, I don't really need a degree. It's just a backup in case my husband, cause he's supposed to provide. It's just a backup in case something happens to him. Like he's in a wheelchair or like he can't see or something like that. So like, I regret that, but I love English. So like, I have like a, a thousand books and yeah. I love reading and anyway, so that's what I got my degree. And so, and then I'm, I just applied for my master's to get a degree in history so that I can like, like be better at doing what I'm already doing. Oh, so fantastic. Yeah. Richard, my husband did English, um, as his degree and I did history as my degree. So oh, that's so cool. Yay, yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Um, yeah, I mean, do you, loving uh, having a love of Shakespeare do you find that that really dovetailed well with reading King James Bible because I always, oh, yeah. I always thought gosh but really Shakespeare's super easy but I think that's because if you have been immersed in the King James Bible and obviously the Book of Mormon borrows so heavily from that mm-hmm. those sorts of these and nows and and the the sentence structure just feels very familiar doesn't it when you then read some Shakespeare yeah, like I, yeah, I really think that's true. Cause like I have siblings that like really struggle with the scriptures with how they're worded. Cause it's kind of confusing, but like, but like reading Shakespeare, which is kind of at a different level, and the scriptures are kind of on a low, I feel like they're on a lower level. Yeah. It's just so much easier. So yeah, like yeah. And that's a really interesting point. Have you, I mean, it's an urban myth. I'm I'm sure it's not true, but there is that theory that that Shakespeare had a hand in um the 
poetic um, fine-tuning of the King James Version of the Bible. Yeah, I had one of my actual professors at BYU-Idaho tell me that, and he was like, there was this one passage where, like, yeah. it, it'll show you, like, Shakespeare or something like that, and I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think have it, heard that. I think it's been debunked, but I, I, there is that, that one passage, which it, it, um, it's to do with his date of birth, and if you count so many words in, and oh, that's two, right, that's right. On the end, and it says, "Yeah, will Shakespeare." Yeah. So it's really it's, that's fun. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> it is quite fun. And if it, yeah, what coincidence if it's not that? But um, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's again one of those things that as when we do seminary and we're doing all of that immersion in the scriptures, there's just a little feeling of superiority that we know those scriptures so well, mm-hmm. and, and then I've felt very um humbled when I've kind of come out of Mormonism and realized oh there was an awful lot of it that I really didn't know and I just trusted people's interpretation of it and trusted that the lesson material was leading me through those scriptures in a really um sort of structured way to to interrogate them fully when actually what it was doing was smoothing Mormonism through the those scriptures yeah. um, and uh, yeah you don't know yeah. what you know at the time do you but yeah like just think just processing what you're saying like even like as a member of the church like I thought I was like a scholar I knew all these things yeah and then leaving them it's like a, a you know a high schooler going into college and you're like I actually don't know anything like I I thought like yeah it's a very different yeah. being in and then being out and yeah what you um, don't know and I think as well with the whole book of Abraham situation that that they have now and and trying to figure out how to place that with any sort of integrity um in the canon scriptures anymore I don't know how they're going to do it they're still hanging on to it and hoping that people haven't noticed I suppose but um but I remember in seminary you're, you're younger than me so you might not have had to do this but one of our seminary scriptures was um we had to memorize the whole of the first vision and we had to you know that that was just expected that we memorized and gave the whole of that first vision um as as a seminary scripture it was it was just trotted off um and that was a badge of honor that you could do that yeah Um, yeah so yeah I actually did that too um I have here um this might be disruptive but hang on no no do it um, so in seminary, my teacher, uh, she gave us, she would give us a little bust if we memorized the whole 1838 first vision account. And I did it. And I was probably the only one that year that did it. And so like, I had no idea that there were other accounts. I had no idea that there were inconsistencies. Oh, yeah. and I had no idea that the historical record was totally not what Joseph was saying it was. So like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I still have it mostly memorized, but I, I should try it sometime and, and, and test myself. But yeah. <laughs> um, you've got a selection now to choose between so if somebody says you misquoted it say oh, I wasn't quoting that one I was quoting one of the other ones uh, yeah yeah I have it on TikTok a few weeks ago someone's like it's not a silent grove it's the sacred grove and I was like nah it says silent grove <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I saw that TikTok that was that was a oh, good yeah. one and, it, and <laughs> interesting isn't it silent or sacred um either way we're not supposed to talk about it <laughs> don't yeah. spot don't spot the errors in the in the um yeah the narrative of it all and I think for me again going back to the whole changing of the garments changing of um dress standards um the changing that they're admitting that there are more than one account now when we literally had to memorize that first vision account like it was the the be all and end all is mm-hmm. is just further evidence that the church itself isn't comfortable with its own history and its own truths right Um, and they're trying to throw things at the wall to see what will stick and what people will be happy to accept yeah I don't know so where you're at now then um with your project with your publishing of Mm -hmm. of older books so tell me about that it's so exciting yeah so it's been it's so I've learned that being in a public, cause I've like, I've written books. Like I majored in English. Like I've done the NaNoWriMo where you write a book in 30 days or 50,000 words. Like I've done that so many times. I didn't realize how, how long, or, or it just takes a long time for a book to be published. Cause you have to, you have to get it formatted. And then you have to like, you have to edit it. You have to like get a cover, you have to do all these things. And so everything is going very slowly. 
So we have, yeah, so we started a publishing company called Adina Publishers and our, we want our main focus to be publishing queer, just anything, queer, anything, queer um, fiction, queer nonfiction, queer, whatever. Um, we've gotten several submissions. We have some of those underway in editing. Um, but another thing that I want to do is every, uh, all the old Mormon books that are out of print that are in the public domain, which usually means that the author is, has been dead for 70 years or that the copyright is not um, owned by posterity or whatever. Um, so we've been trying to publish those ones and it's going really slowly, but, but we're really excited. Like we have, for example, um, William Smith wrote a book. And so we, we have this one published, the audiobooks up, the ebooks up. We're still trying to figure out the hardcover to how to like, how to put it through on Amazon. Um, and we have the, the novel expositors running through right now with the, with the publishing company or the printers right now. Um, to get that up there in the audiobook, I'm still editing that. And then we have um, the, the novel release Society Minute book. And then I want to do my own annotated version of that because that's super interesting because like you don't realize like, like um, so polygamy and the Relief Society are like super hand in hand. Like I think Emma start kind of started it, started the Relief Society to figure out who her husband was marrying. And yeah. you can see this kind of throughout the meetings, like the, especially the beginning and the end she's not there at all through 1843 and then at the end she's like like uh, really being hard about like you know only listen to joseph when he's on the stand don't listen to anything in private circles and then yeah just so that's just kind of crazy and then we're doing the uh john d lee book the mormonism unveiled about the mountain meadows massacre oh, and there's another one yeah and there's another one called the wife number 19 that's one of brigham young's wives and she is it's an expose on polygamy and Brigham and in, in Utah. So, so all these are like coming out and uh, yeah, so we're working on those. So, yeah. <laughs> so you need to get them over to the UK somehow, somehow. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, if we can have some at Sunstone, I will happily man a table and, um, and make sure people purchase. That would be, that'd be so yeah. cool. Yeah. It would be, it would be amazing to have them over here. I think people are fascinated and even more so now that we have the freedom to be fascinated or certainly for me post-Mormon, I have, I feel like I have the freedom to put my history head on and, mm -hmm. and just interrogate it and analyze it without the need to try and fit it into a faithful narrative. I can just look at it right, yeah. and, and, right. and studying it. Yeah, well, I even I I would I would even hope that me as an active member can I I wish I felt the freedom to like read anti-Mormon literature and to be like oh this is this is not true or this part's not true or like or like reading Fawn Brody who is a historian like 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 even the active Mormon historians revere her book and they say that it's good literature like yeah like I wish that I had felt the freedom to explore I guess the anti-Mormon stuff which is just church history so yeah like. Yeah. But, we, but we know why we didn't have that freedom. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not, it doesn't, it's not faith promoting. They're not, yeah. not every, what does he say? What does Ballard say? Not everything that's, that's true is useful or something like that. Like, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think there was that whole, it's just dog whistle throughout the whole of the, the um, general conferences and through lesson manuals, you don't look outside the materials. If it's not written yeah. within the four corners of this manual, don't be teaching it in your lesson, please. Don't don't be going doing research elsewhere and bringing it into your classes because that shows a lack of faith on your part as a teacher, doesn't it? Because we've prepared yeah. this. Our scholars have put the work into this. You don't need yes. to in addition. And uh. so it, it scared certainly me. It scared me into feeling like okay, I can't I can't look anywhere else. Um, and unless I get the green light because it's being sold in Deseret Books or whatever, that this is a safe book to go and look at, I'm not going to go and look elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just thinking, that's making me think of, uh, like, even the manuals that they publish are so um, carefully worded. Like, there's the one where it talks about tithing and, like, the like in one of the manuals, there's, like, three dots of how, like, um, we were supposed to be tithing. But if you, like, look into those three dots... It's, it goes back to a talk, I think it's in 1912 or something, where the prophet is saying, oh, one of these days we won't have to pay tithing. We will just have enough in the storehouse and, and then it'll be gone. We won't have to live that principle anymore. Yeah. But like that was in a conference talk and yeah. in our recent manuals, they had to flush that out because they're like, no, 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 we need to pay tithing. <laughs> like, like even like we can't even, the church can't even trust its own sources. 
to promote its own messages. Like, yeah, but it's so dishonest that because anyone who's ever had to write an essay knows it's absolutely fine to put those ellipses in. If you are skipping, you've know, got a word count, got to do it in 2000 words and you're skipping part of that paragraph that is totally irrelevant to the point you're making. However, if it's relevant to the point, if it in fact is counter to the point you're making, you can't quote that and miss that bit. Right, out. right, right. And so to put that into correlated materials that must have gone through committees and everyone give a nudge and a wink and go, yeah, that, that'll fly. That's fine. Oh we'll get away with that. They it, won't notice. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's just, it's just mind boggling. And, and, and I think that for me, when, when I was in my rantiest first, having decided I'm done, I'm out. And um, people would say, why? It would be because I was lied to. It's not, it's, and it's not even the individual lies. It's that they felt comfortable lying to me. Oh, yeah. The trust is gone. It's like a relationship, isn't it? You're like, it's not what you lied about. It's that you felt okay to lie to me. That lack of respect, that lack of, of trust yeah. is gone. So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have that much contact with active believing members still that I kind of could get a sense of where people are but obviously in the UK congregations are dwindling fast um but do you what sort of feedback do you get over where you are and so um my word my well the home war that I was in that my that I grew up in my I was just told by my parents that it actually is growing which is unusual but like they they had to split it up into a branch and a ward so like that's I there's so many people there that have so many kids like the primary I think is like this might be this might be wrong but I think it's like 400 kids it's got a ridiculous amount of kids because wow. everyone's just having like seven and eight kids wow. so that's really big yeah but I was talking to my friend in Utah and he was saying that his his ward his stake has is now only a ward so like and also they're building a temple here in Springfield Missouri like there's not that many members here where I live like I don't know I, I think it's just a facade that they are building temples and it has nothing to do with church growth because we know that the church is not growing no. um, like it used to. So, so yeah. like, I get the sense that it's not growing. Just my homeward is a unique situation, I guess, where it is. So yeah, um, yeah. certainly um, not through converts. It's, it's through um, people having babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that generation will then, I think, um, come to an end and, and the next generation down seem to have disappeared the the teenagers as they are now which is why they're throwing yeah. a ton of effort and money into that generation and yeah, um, that's true the temple building thing I just can't fathom there used to be a time when th there was a certain metric for gaining a temple which so mm -hmm. many active believing members who would therefore be able to go and, and um, sustain running it and that seems to have gone out the window but I, I'm very cynical and I just feel like I don't have any proof for this but I feel like somebody's getting the um the contracts for doing the building and can probably charge whatever they like and somebody's getting the contracts for furnishing it and do you know what I mean and building developing land round about it whether it's for housing or whatever I don't know but it's a very for a very wealthy church it'd be a very good way of of washing it through from being tithing money charitable status money and then out into the hands of families that maybe have connections I don't know yeah um, that's really and, interesting and the more you build even if they're not used it really doesn't matter because the church has been able to get that money into the hands of the people that have those those sorts of businesses then and and it's cynical I know but I just think what well, I can't there's no there's no logical sense for building them they're just going to be mothballed it's not going right. to to actually keep them and open. they're and they're so expensive like I heard that their budget is like in the billions to to make each temple and like we just were driving through Utah last week and the new Taylorsville temple it's huge like and it's right on the edge of the highway like I don't know how yeah, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. The budget, the the membership, it doesn't make any sense. No, no. We'll we'll see what happens next. Maybe there'll yeah. be some very high end uh, hotels springing up. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've repurposed them all. Um, yeah. So 
I put down some questions for myself that I wanted to ask you because it's all going up my head. Oh, you said something on one of your TikToks that I just wanted to say, fangirling here. Um, <laughs> you said something along the lines of the church cannot have real converts until it is open and honest with its history. And I absolutely love that. And that really spoke to me as a convert because it is that whole thing of, I thought I was converted to something. It turns out, it was a mirage it wasn't true anyway the thing that that they'd sold to me is and so that thing of the church needs to be vulnerable be open and honest even if that means they lose vast swathes of people get down to the to the bedrock of what they their actual faith structure is and then any comments to it are doing it with all the facts aren't they so Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I feel that very deeply. Like, like with any relationship, it's like you have to be vulnerable and, and show who you are, so that someone else. You have to be unconditionally you, so that they you can be loved unconditionally. Like with a church putting at that facade, they're not allowing the members to to know them or to convert to them or even love them. Like, yeah. it's just a fake version or a wall of yeah. what they want to show you. Yeah, yeah. So I I really like that, and I think you you say some really great things, Julia. So. Um, I will definitely hope <laughs> push people towards your TikTok and from the UK. It's fantastic. So what's next for you then? You've got the the books in the simmering away. You've got your TikTok going on. What are you excited about doing next? Is there any other big plans coming up? Um, so like I'm hoping to marry my girlfriend. So Yay. hopefully that'll happen soon um yeah those are the biggest things happening. We're just like living Have you got plans? And- Have you, you know picked a date? Um, well, no, we've discussed like getting married in Ireland because like, why not? Um, but I don't think my family would like that because uh, it's a kind of a, a, a fight. I don't know. But like, we were just in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago and they're like, no, it's fine. It's not that expensive to go to Ireland. Um, no, nothing's nothing's been planned and nothing's happened yet. So it's just all up in the air. But yeah, yeah, we, my 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 daughter starts school next month and she has a birthday coming up and and we're just living life like normal. So the publishing company is really the biggest thing that's yeah, going on yeah. right now. So, yeah. Um, and what have you done since leaving Mormonism? Um, are you now drinking coffee? Are you? Oh. <laughs> so I have you done all of the the tick list of? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a, um So I don't like. So I drink coffee sometimes, but like I really don't like coffee. Like I have to have a really watered down like with uh, creamers. Like I have a little bit of coffee with my creamer. Um, so I do enjoy wine. I, I still like the sweet wine, like the Moscato or stuff like that. Cause it's fine. Alcohol is just gross to me. Like I don't like whiskey. I don't like anything, pretty much nothing else. Um, and then like, I don't, I don't like tattoos cause they feel like stickers and I don't really, but I, I admire them on other people's bodies. So that's fine. Um, let me think what else. Uh, I don't really wear tank tops. Uh, so like, I don't even own a tank top. Like, I don't know. Um, I, yeah. What, what are there other questions? I can't oh, remember. I, I, I can't think what else, what else is on the t- t- list? Of- I, I won't ever smoke. Like I, there's just certain things I'm like, I just, I don't want to do drugs like at no. all. Like, I know. So. I remember having this conversation with, with Rich and, and with our kids and saying, you know, you almost have to go through that mental checklist. Of, and I remember saying to myself, do you want a tattoo? I don't want a tattoo. Don't get a tattoo then. You don't have to have a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> everything's back on the table, isn't it? And you've got yeah. to go through and say, I, I don't No, I don't think I really want to do that. I don't have to yeah. do it. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the church has this idea that's like, if you put everything, if you leave the church, you're going to do everything bad and, and everything's going to go awry. But it's like, no, you just have to make a conscious decision. Like your life is yours now. You can make yes. that decision. You can yeah. take that off the table if you, if it's not right for you. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of, of um, sort of post-Mormons who still have quite, you know, from the outside looking in, quite Mormon standards over things like yeah. that. Um, you know, yeah. most of my work friends would, would probably say she's quite straight-laced, you know, she's... <laughs> Um, I'm, I've not suddenly become this this rebel bank robber or you know right, right. living a writer's life it's um, still pretty much the same but yeah it's interesting isn't it how we think we think we're going to without the church we will definitely go off the rails and yeah I remember saying it I remember 
saying I'm so glad I remember because who else, you know, where else would my life have been if I hadn't have joined the church? Yeah. about the same actually <laughs> well and the, the biggest thing for me is like I thought or I, maybe it's not the biggest thing but like I thought because happiness only belongs in the church not outside the church but yeah. like I am very happy very yeah. happy outside the church and like yeah. so that's it's just a myth it's like it's just scary yeah to to make that leap out but yeah yeah the church no, doesn't own happiness no but nobody in the church will believe you when you say that no, I know they're like, you're unhappy, you're angry. I'm like, what? no, I'm not. Like, I'm happy. I'm like, yeah. but you're telling me, like, they can yeah. tell me how I feel. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I'm, I'm happy to be this happy. And um, I'm happy not to be this as stressed and, and just overwhelmed by everything that we were having to do when we were active, um, believing members. We had a we were out for a walk the other evening after work. We had dinner. We went for a, a late night walk. It was sort of a Tuesday evening. And I just said to Rich, uh, have we got anything else planned for this evening? And he was like, No, I don't think so. I said, So we've not got to go to the chapel and drop off kids for youth night and hang around for youth night and then drop people home afterwards. And then, you know, and, was, and suddenly you remember all of the additional pieces that we squeezed into our week. And it felt like, oh, isn't this nice just to reclaim our week and go, okay, there's things we have to do. There's so much more freedom to to choose what we want to do yeah. and how we want to show up for the people in our lives and spend mm-hmm. time with friends and family so yeah yeah. I think it's Love it. yeah the church takes a lot of time out of our day like just it's really so much busy. Time. yeah and covid I think was a big leveler for that I don't know how it was for you oh yeah, yeah. it it allowed people so much breathing space and they actually got time to find the CES letter or find TikTok and find things and go, hmm, okay, I've not heard that before. So right. Or even just I've had a lot of people, a lot of friends that just during COVID, they're just like, I am fine without the church. Like I don't need to go back ever because it's like detaching themselves is like they realized it's it was like placebo or like it doesn't wasn't really helping them. Yeah. Yeah. That I think, yeah. We we were still those first few months of COVID. We're still trying to make Sunday um, a little bit special and still have sort of a semblance of a service at home. Because um, uh, England went into a really full on lockdown, and um, where you know you you literally you could you were just it within your household. You weren't allowed to socialise with other households. Yeah. You could go for a walk once a day, but you only one person in your home was supposed to go and do the shopping and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really tightly and, and and that you know in some ways it was good but um it puts in a little bit of a bubble and we'd got our three younger children plus my daughter's um boyfriend living with us um and so we were trying to make Sunday morning special and suddenly it became this we loved Sunday mornings again because we would we would have a bit of a brunch and then we would get the guitars out and maybe sing some hymns. Um, and it was sort of March time. So we'd get the log burner going and it was just very cozy. And, and it, 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 it felt like proper family time. It felt like when I um, read the scriptures, one of my favorite ones was King Benjamin and all the families show up in their tents and turn their tents. But it was that feeling of you're sat with your family in your little tent and experiencing, mm-hmm. um, you know, spiritual uplift, but with yeah. your, your family unit. And it felt like that. I felt that sort of connection to spiritual, but with the family and not the overwhelm of, picking people up on the way to church, getting there early for a meeting, setting mm-hmm. activity, giving a talk, you know, fitting it all in, sitting apart from each other if Richard was on the stand or I was on the stand or whatever. And mm-hmm. it just felt right. Yeah. And and then we found out stuff that meant that we didn't go back. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so fun yeah yeah so um and the answer can be we don't care in the states or so when you're in the UK you think oh I bet in America they really care about what goes on in the UK as far as the church is concerned and then you realize um no they really don't they 
the the church in in Utah especially seems very much Utah centric. Um, so, am I right in thinking that that when you're when you're a Mormon in Utah, it is all about you know life in Utah, or does it matter where people serve their missions? Does it matter about converts around the world, or is it more about the church? In the that's a that's a great question. So I serve my mission in Utah. Um, I live in Missouri, but like I have heard that a lot too, where people outside. Um, of even just Utah or the United States, the church doesn't really care. Like the church wants numbers in Africa. Like the church is growing in Africa. Yeah. And I've heard like, I've heard stories of like the church going to Australia and like trying to sell the BYU pathways. And they're like, no, we, we have really great institutions. Like we don't need your stuff, but the church doesn't, there's a disconnect there. So yeah, I kind of, I kind of sense that too, that the church really doesn't care about anyone else except itself. And like, yeah. it's, yeah, that's really sad. <laughs> Well, I just I get the impression it's it, it's not sad. We've we've got enough. We, we, <laughs> we you know it, the UK's got enough of a um, of a uh, big ego. They don't need they don't need them all <laughs> to do some of stuff. But the um, I I think it's sad because I think we imagined that it mattered to Mormonism that it was a worldwide church. It mattered to us in the UK that it was a worldwide church. We were proud of the fact that there was a worldwide church, I think. But but then I've realised sort of post-Mormon that actually a Utah experience of Mormonism really is just all about BYU, going to BYU, marrying at BYU. You know, it's it, there's a... And, and needing to be at least four, five, six generations back. Yeah. wise for you to be considered um someone marrying into and and yet we have such a big missionary program and want converts but we don't actually view converts as being sort of on the same pedigree as yeah yeah that's sort of yeah like they they grow the elite in utah and then everyone else is just yeah i don't know yeah Yeah, that's really interesting yeah and and i think it's um in some ways, it's good to, to realise that because it's made me realise some of this. It's made pieces of the puzzle fall into place. So I remember as Relief Society President being handed a form to ask someone in the ward that was struggling financially to fill out. And it was just, it was in dollars. It was to do with the American tax system. It was asking for information that was totally irrelevant. Oh, boy. <laughs> UK system at all and and trying to help somebody to fill this form in and thinking none of this is applicable none of this makes any sense to them whatsoever um but that the church somebody at head office hadn't actually twigged that the forms may be different for different parts of the world um that's so that's so interesting to me because like I have like I do live in a like a bubble and I'm in the states and so like I don't ever really think about outside but like that's the church brags that it's a worldwide church, but it's really like, is it though? Like, it, like, are they catering to, are they, are they doing form? Like even something as simple as a form for this form, woman to yeah, have. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're not. We should take half an hour to, for somebody to go, what, what does need to be on that form? Can you make up a word document? Brill, we'll sign yeah. off. That's the one to use in the UK. And, and likewise in, I don't know, Italy or France or Australia. Yeah. Or whatever. They just need somebody on the floor to go, this is what we would need. And somebody oh, boy. instead to have that sort of one size fits all. And, yeah. Um, this church is so, it's such an American church that like, I'm, I'm realizing all the time, like even the family proclamation, someone pointed out that it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't cater to any other culture except for the American culture. Like, like, and I just think that's so interesting. Like, I don't know, like, it's just, it's just an American church. Like, uh, it is. And I, but again, I think this is the um, unwitting testimony bit, which with your history head on, you know, that thing, if you look at an artifact or you look at a piece of, of writing and you say, what were they trying to tell us? with this and what what have they actually unwittingly told us about themselves with this this you know artifact so the proclamation to the family is a really interesting one because that was given within my um sort of time in the church we were newly married at that point and even then I remember reading it and thinking hmm that doesn't quite gel with with the world at large I and mean, that's that's quite an interesting document to have but 
trusted it. Now with sort of almost 30 years distance away from it, you look at it and you just realize, yeah, how American centric it is, but how um, white Western culture centric it is as well. And how rooted in sort of 1950s, post-World War II um, family dynamics it is as well. Yeah. Um, and how it doesn't really take into account things like um, uh, test tube babies or, or, yeah. or working mothers or working women with careers. Wow, like yeah, that, that, you know, when it talks about the, the um, parts of, of being able to procreate being sacred and you mustn't mess with them. And even at that time, it was, it was not, I mean, it was the 1990s, wasn't it? But thinking, well, it, it's now possible for people to to have a baby and have um, you know eggs donated or sperm donated to help them to have their own children. Are we saying that that they're not allowed to do that as members? What are we saying? Yeah. Um, and but you know it was it was written for a certain purpose, and now with hindsight, we can really see that. Yeah, Look back on it and really see yeah. what it was in reaction to, to certain things that were happening over in the States. Um, because mm. it wasn't really relevant to other parts of the world. No, it's not. But yeah, yeah. Working mothers, which is such a normal thing in most parts of the world, maybe not so much in America because they did very well after World War II it was actually really quite common, wasn't it, for a family to be able to survive on one income. Mm-hmm. But most other parts of the world have always needed two incomes. And mm-hmm. unless you were the landed gentry and you, you, you didn't need any income then, you lived, uh, you lived very nicely. But yeah, um, yeah so I, I, I think it'd be interesting with your history head on when you've got your master's especially what are you going to do for your master's have you picked a a um oh, just history yeah just so yeah you've not picked something you want to particularly specialize oh in. I guess so the the university that I applied for they have like world history um U.S. history and then both of them together and I was like maybe it'd just be easier for me to do um U.S. history but I haven't been accepted yet so it's still pending because they're like oh you send in your application like really early so we're not going to review this till September. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I got accepted to the same university um, two years ago through for English. But then I then life got crazy and the divorce and everything. And then so I'm applying again. Hopefully they'll accept me. Um, but it looks different because I'm not, I was an English major moving to anyway. But yeah, I was just thinking about just doing American history. So yeah, although world history would be really interesting too. It's just, I just feel like it's so big. Like it's, I guess it's kind of, it just sort of feels daunting because it's the whole world. So, yeah, you'd have to zone in, wouldn't you? You'd have to yeah, zone in on something sure. anyway. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, if American history, which you know an awful lot about certain parts of American history already, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it'd be very easy to focus in on something like that. I, I, my degree was um, a history degree, but I, I then focused in on um, European and I ended up um, really focusing in on sort of 15th century um uh, the Holy Roman Empire and Maximilian. That's so cool. Kingdom. Yeah, so you kind of go niche and niche and niche, don't you, until you end yeah. up just knowing an awful lot about one really, really specific yeah. time. Well, and- like, and then with lately, I've just been I'm doing a lot of research with the Mormonism and, and its views on blackness, and so like that's super fascinating to me. And so like, like even just learning about that with the U.S. history and like the slavery and things like that, that's really interesting mm-hmm. to me. And so like. Like maybe I can go sort of that direction later, but yeah, yeah. Oh, that that would be really topical as well, wouldn't it? And there's lots of yeah. crossover with social in, injustice and history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the um, the fact that history is told by the the victors. So where is the, the history for yeah for black yeah. people in America particularly? It's mm-hmm. Gosh, yeah, that that would be so interesting. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> so when will you start? Would it start in September? Would it start? Um, no, it would start January. So January. I think that's when, so that I'm used to a BYU track system, but this one's, it's set up differently, but I think it would start in January if I get accepted. So I'll just hope for that. But yeah, the so I, I this is off topic, but I just got, um, so Jane Manning James is a, is a black woman that was sealed to Joseph as a slave. Yeah. And like, I just yeah. got her, uh, her autobiography today. It's so tiny. It's like 10 pages. Like, oh. it's just, there's not anything there. And like, like, I don't know. I just, 
I mean, that just so fascinated me with all that kind of stuff and like wanting to hear these stories that no one else has heard or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's her, so that's her own writing. That's her. Yeah. Own yeah. It's just, just a few pages though of her. Um, yeah. So this is like, I don't, like, I haven't read it. I just, it just came in the mail today, but like, like these stories that no one, like, I didn't know who she was as a member of the church. Like, it, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's just the fact that the church has controlled her narrative and her story for so long as well, either yeah. by not talking about it or by controlling it and, and only doing it in a very particular way to protect Joseph's reputation or what have yeah. you. Yeah. Are there such things as, um, so in the UK, we have a, a census every 10 years. And when we're doing our family trees, family history, tracing it back, often one of the best ways of, of figuring out sort of people's family histories is to see is to get that that census from that time period and then you know who was in the house it lists what their occupation was at the time and it tells you a little bit about them so I'm just wondering whether she would show up on censuses during that's that's a good point because like like I did a lot of indexing as a member um and we look through those censuses all the time and um that would be really interesting in fact now that you're saying that there's a so I we're doing the we're reprinting the Relief Society Minute book and I, as I was typing in these women's names, I was like, I don't think, um, I don't know for sure, but I don't think any of these women are black. And like, I didn't see Jane Manning James at all. And she would be right in that time period. Oh, yeah. Like, so like, I don't think that they were allowed to join the Relief Society. And yeah. maybe that's a normal thing, I guess, but like, I don't know. But like, anyway, so yeah, looking up censuses and seeing the, their ethnicity or whatever, um, that would be really, really interesting to go back and look at. It'd be interesting. And that's, that's really key as well, Julie, the fact that she doesn't show up in Relief Society. So yeah. when we say, well, she was sealed to the prophet, so that tells you they weren't racist. Well, then why wasn't she allowed a place at the table in Relief Society? Yeah. It, you know, yeah. she's sealed to the prophet, but isn't allowed to join this progressive women's organization. And it's not, really? and it has nothing, the Relief Society was totally separate from the church. Like, like, I guess there, like, I, like, uh, there's a newspaper, the evening and morning star where like in Missouri here, the, they didn't allow free people of color to come and live anywhere here. And so the, the church was really pushing that. Like Oliver Cowdery in the newspapers was like, do not move here. If you are a person of color and that just was really hard. But then she was able to live in Nauvoo. Like they were able to, cause yeah. I guess that rule didn't exist in Illinois, but like anyway, I'm going on tangents, but like, that's no, just really no, interesting to, me to see. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just fascinating to me. Yeah. And when you know that she's somewhere, but she can't participate that yeah. it's, it's almost like tracking her on Google maps in time, isn't it? And kind yeah, of that yeah. she wasn't able to do this or she was here and she was able to do this. And, and then yeah. those 10 pages just yeah. sort of expand it through time then and see what she was having to deal with. And, yeah. and, and for them to say, oh yeah, she, she was happy with that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's so, oh, and it's, yeah. I don't think that, I don't see that as a happy story at all. I don't know how the church can twist it any other way. Like yeah. you didn't let her go to the temple and you stealed her as a servant. Like there's nothing good about this story. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, and I, I haven't read her book yet, but I don't know like who her family are. I don't know anything about anyone who came over with her. Anyway, just that we just have so limited information on. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. I'm really, I'm really yeah. pleased that you're doing it. I'm really pleased that um, you are in the spaces that you're at in TikTok with TikTok and you have the time and energy to do all of that. So keep on doing what you're doing and, um, and we will enjoy it. And if you make it over to the UK or to Ireland, please come and visit us. Okay. Please drop in. We would absolutely love it. We've got Sunstone in October. So if between now and then we figure out a way to get your that'd be so fun. books over there, that'd be great. Come in person, bring them along. We'll, yeah, yeah. That'd be so fun. Yeah. We'll give you a, <laughs> um, a slot to come and talk to everybody. It's, oh, that's so cool. it's ever such a small, tight, little Exmo crowd in the UK. Everyone knows each other. Everyone's super supportive of each other. It's like the walking wounded. Everyone just kind of props each other up and... Um, I love that. Yeah, I think it's it's that thing of when you've all just been through the same storm, you kind of, it doesn't really matter. People have got completely different life experiences, but we all are just kind of looking around at each other going, wow, that was a lot, wasn't it? You're yeah, okay? Yeah. You're okay? <laughs> I, think, I think that is one of the, the things that we um, we quite enjoy as as 
UK ex-Mormons, post-Mormons, nuanced Mormons, that, that people are trying their best to be supportive of each other because we all know it's it's a grief, isn't it? You've let go of something that was massive in your life, even though you are angry about bits and pieces and even though you know it's not true anymore, you've still got to grieve for who you thought you were going to be at this stage in life. And Yeah. yeah my, so my girlfriend's ex-Mormon too. And, and, I, and we, yeah, we met it. We actually roommates at BYU-Idaho. Um, so that's kind of funny, but so it's really nice that she's ex-Mormon also, just cause I feel like I have to process this so much and it's so much of my life that like, it'd be really hard to date someone who, who would just be yeah, like, no, play. no. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that. Understanding is different, but yeah. yeah. So that's really cool. That, that this is maybe a combination conversation for another time in another corridor. But, um, when you were roommates at BYU, did, was there a spark there and you just didn't act on it or just, no. nothing, just good friends, just good friends. So like, I, I started questioning uh, my sexuality when I was 18. Um, but then like, just kind of shoved it down. Cause that's like, I didn't even have language for it. Like I didn't even know anything about that. Um, so like, but just asking, like, do I have feelings for this person? Um, but shoving that away because that's not what the church's narrative is. You have to be married to a man. And then like, and then re-exploring that later as I was um, becoming an ally and being like, no, like I need to accept that this is just part of who I am. So yeah. 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 But no, nothing, no attraction there. We were just good friends. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you found each other and I'm super excited to hear about the wedding. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Ireland. I think, I think. Yeah. I, I really want, I really want to. And, and like, we'll just, we'll just fly the people who are important and everyone else can, can fend for themselves. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, have you got family ties to Ireland? Is there a particular region in Ireland that you want to go to? Or? Um, no, I, I've never been to Ireland. So like my grandpa was born in England. I can't remember where exactly. Um, but I have, so I have family up there. Um, but yeah, we just, just Ireland is gorgeous. And like those old castles, like, I don't know how expensive it would be to get married in a castle, probably pretty expensive, but anyway we want to do it anyway <laughs> yeah yeah my I've got my great grandmother well my grandmother was was Irish my great grandmother um was uh lived in a little fishing village called Calork just a little way outside of Belfast it's beautiful 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 Aww. country and um, it so rains cool. a lot that's why it's so green but as long as you're happy you know that you might get wet on your wedding day <laughs> that's <laughs> fine <laughs> it's Ireland who cares <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Shamrocks in your hair and oh yeah, fantastic. Aww. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll Pinterest board it. I'll, I've started already. Okay. <laughs> All right. Lovely. It's lovely chatting to you and thank yeah. you so much. And stay in touch. And if there's anything we can support you with or anything that you think we would be interested in, please let us know and we'll we'll do our best to promote it in the UK as well. That'd be great. Okay, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Have a lovely evening. We'll speak soon. Thanks, you too. Take care. Bye.